Welcome to the Jubilee Stratford podcast, where you can listen back on our weekly sermons, special guest speakers, and more. To find other resources and information about who we are, visit www.jubileestratford.com. If you like what you've heard here on this podcast today, don't forget to subscribe. Wow, wow, wow. What a cool church this is, everybody. Listen, if I lived in, in Stratford, I'd be coming to this church. This is a happening place. We spent the weekend here with um, some of you at the Father Heart Intensive, and we had such a great time. God has showed up, touched many people's hearts and lives. At the end of it, yesterday afternoon, we got a bunch of testimonies of people just spontaneously coming up and sharing how God had impacted them in a fresh new way, and they're discovering the love of the Father in, uh, in new ways. And so that, that's always that's always good for the minister to know that, you know, God's doing things in people's lives. So we love that. And uh, so we're excited to be here this morning with you, and we are going to be talking a bit more about how God has been revealing His love to us personally, and hopefully that'll spill over into your lives as well. Uh, so yes, we are pastors of uh, Cashfire Toronto East. We planted that baby uh, 13 years ago. Yeah. Give it up for 13 years. It's amazing. In spite of ourselves, the church is still going. And uh, we have, um, we're in the process of gradually doing some succession implementation. So we have a younger couple that we're investing, (coughs) excuse me, kind of early in the morning for my voice. We meet at four o'clock in the afternoon, so this is, anyway, so we, uh, we're, in, we're, in, we're investing in this younger couple to uh, eventually take over as the new leaders. And so what that's doing is that it's freeing us up to do the other passion of our lives, which is to share the good news with people far and wide. So we're happy to be here with you guys this morning. This is my wonderful wife, Elsie. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. I am really looking forward to... Uh, sharing God's heart with you. Um, one of the uh, best parts of, uh, of ministry is being able to hear God's heart for his lovely ones, and that's you. And I love coming into places where I, I haven't been before because I hear his heart, and he brags on his people. And we call it the prophetic Um, But um, I think it's just uh, a really amazing father who just really gushes about his kids. And and so uh, I believe that he's been talking to me this morning. uh, Well, he's been talking to us for the whole weekend. We've had just an amazing time hearing his heart. But specifically this morning, I heard him say, "I, I really want... Um, I want my, my church to step into a place of seeing herself the way that I do. And um, he's just really washing our hearts from self-consciousness. Self-consciousness is no fun whatsoever. I mean, we have to be aware. We have to be aware of things that we need to address and that. But there's something that, um, that he's doing He's breaking off uh, accusing voices off of us. And he's inviting us 
to come so close to him that we hear his heart, that nothing, nothing separates us from him. And this has been the best part of the Father Heart message uh, for, for ourselves. It's coming into that place where we actually work from love rather than working to get loved. I used to come into uh, the mornings, uh, you know, kind of cringing towards my prayer chair, uh, picking up my Bible, and this sense of having to examine myself so thoroughly that I, I you know, it's been, I spent more of my time looking at me because there's just something wrong. I have to work my way into his love, into his grace. And um, I'm so aware of the blemishes. I'm so aware of the accusing thoughts. And, um, and this is where my life has changed. Because when I wake up in the morning, I wake up to my father's kisses. I wake up to his invitation to come to life every day. And when I go to my prayer chair, it's I climb into Christ's righteousness. I climb right in there. I don't look at me at all without looking at my beautiful daddy because the way he looks at me is with such love in his eyes, so much love in his heart for me. He doesn't want me to miss anything. And that is the most amazing part. But in order to get there, I've had to have a switch turned on the inside. And that is what the Father Heart message is all about. It's about um, starting from his love and his thoughts about us rather than trying to work our way there. And so um, I just believe that's his invitation to this, uh, to this church, to this church body. He's saying, I want you to break agreement with the accuser. Do not tolerate it one more second. Lift your eyes away. When you see yourself, he is a gusher of a father. He absolutely loves you. Every, everything in his heart, even the things that, that are not good in his sight, he's got you covered because he knows how to bring you to a place of repentance. And so that is his job, is, and, and our job is to be loved and then flow with him into that place of obedience. So I can't fix a thing. So my starting place is his arms leaning back in his chest, and that's where he wants to invite us. So I'm going to uh, let Ramesh share his heart. Thank you, my love. Boy, it's, it's uh, a joy to have a prophet living in your own home. It's a... Uh, it's mostly a good thing, sometimes it's not, because then she knows what's going on in my heart, even when I don't say anything. So it's scary that way. Anyway, the thing that we, um, that of all the things that we teach in the Cash of Fire world, the Cash of Fire movement, of all the things that we teach, it's the Father Heart message, the revelation of God as a loving Father, personally to me, that has transformed my life the most. And so what I want to do this morning is to share with you uh, briefly, some of my backstory, and then we'll touch on uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. And so let me start by saying that um, when my dad, when my earthly father 
was uh, he was orphaned twice. When he was two weeks old, his mother died. She died almost in childbirth when he was two weeks old. And so his father took the three kids, my dad and two older siblings, and, and gave them to another family, another couple who adopted them as their own. And um, so as my, as my dad was growing up, he was growing up in a fairly healthy home. But when he was nine years old, his adoptive father died. I tell you that to simply say that my dad grew up uh, with uh, a sense of being um, an orphan. He didn't understand that there was an, an inheritance. He didn't have an example of a godly figure in his life or, or actually any figure, any father figure in his life to lead him forward. And so uh, just fast forward, he, he, grew, he, he got married. He actually did very, very well in life. He was a very successful man, and he had profile in the community, and, uh, and overall a pretty good guy. When he died, his, um, the common f- word that was used to uh, describe him was the word integrity. And in all the obituaries and all the people that that's came to his funeral and said things, they always refer to him as a man of integrity. So he had that. Um, one of the things he also instilled in us uh, was this idea that if you want anything in life, kids, if you want anything in life, you just got to push, you got to work at it, because there's no free handouts in life. You got to just make it happen. All right? And he did that. And so that was the message that kind of unfolded in my, in my family. It didn't help the situation that my eldest brother, I'm the seventh of seven kids, it didn't help the situation that my eldest brother, who was 19 years older than I am, he was like a genius. And in our, in our culture, in, our, in that time frame, education was like gold, is actually like an idol, because you needed to be educated to have value, you needed to be educated to make a life for yourself. And so by the time he was 27 years old, crazy guy, by the time he was 27, he had two PhD degrees. That's a big deal. Uh, he was pretty sharp. But here's the problem, okay? I'm not sure what happened over the course of the intervening years But by the time I came along, that genius gene had somehow dissipated, all right? So I didn't, I was average in school. I was just average, middle middle of the class. So here's the problem with that. When I I would get my report cards and I would bring them home, what would my dad say? Look at that B, look at that C. How come you're getting Bs and Cs? Why can't you be like your brother. And that was the refrain that played in my, in my little heart and, and mind that growing up. Man, I can't meet my dad's standard.
Fox visiting at the time, and just as he was getting ready to go back home, we were driving into the airport, uh, Halifax Airport, and I took out this this card that says, you know, Ramesh Narayan, Dean's List, blah, blah, blah. And so I give it to my dad, and I said, Latch, that's what I call my dad, Latch, uh, this is, there's more where this come fr comes from. My dad took it, looked at it, and uh, even now I could see my father's face because there was such a, a proud look on his face. And he looked at me and said, that's my boy. That's my boy. The thing that I've been really, my heart was longing to hear all my growing up years. I, I heard it when I was 21 years old. He said, that's my boy. And that was cool for a moment, but here, but, but you see what that did? What that did is that it said, I have to reach the standard. I have to be excellent in my father's eyes before I could receive his love and his affection and his affirmation. Is this making sense to you? It's making sense to you. So, it still reinforced this ungodly belief that in order for me to have any value in anybody's life, especially somebody who's important to me, I have to meet a certain standard of behavior, of, 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 of you know, quality, of, of output. I gotta be excellent, otherwise I wouldn't have their approval. So fast forward now, I, get, I recommit my life to Christ, and I get involved in missions immediately. And I have to say that my initial uh, motivation for being in missions was because I was so freshly in love with Jesus. My heart was bursting, heart was bursting just with just love for him and admiration, admiration for who he is and what he's done for me. And so I'm saying, I just want to give. I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. And so I want to live radically for you. And uh, so I end up in missions. And as I'm doing missions, it seems like it seems like gradually my initial my motivation, initial motivation which, was which was love and devotion towards Jesus, towards Jesus began, to began to shift towards, towards how can I impress my peers and my bosses in missions, and so I began working super hard. I wouldn't go into all the details, but I was I was trying to excel in every single area. And how many people know that if your reliance for, for a sense of self-worth and value is based on what other people think of you, well, you're in deep doo-doo. Because when you do well, people are going to be patting you on the back. But when you blow it, they're going to try to pat you somewhere else. <clears throat> so that was my situation growing up. And then I come to the airport church back in 1990-something. And I begin to hear this message that God loves you just the way you are and not as you should be. And I'm saying, this can't be right. How can that be right? I'm supposed to be meeting God's standards, man. Forget what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah, I believe that. But it's Jesus plus doing some good stuff, right? And so I'm working and I'm trying really hard to impress God and everybody else. And then I'm hearing these messages. John Arnott says, God loves you just the way that you are. 
and not as you should be. He's going to work with you to, to, for you to be better. But he loves you just the way you are. And gradually, over the course of time, this biblically-based message, this gospel message, this message of grace, true grace, began to fill my heart more and more. And what I want to do is jump forward to just a, a, a couple of, actually about a year ago now, um, in a, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Is, this, is there a way for, for me to get my, lap, my um, iPad up there? In the, um, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, we're, we're, we're preaching into uh, a red dot on a camera for two years. And uh, about a year ago, I'm just sitting on my couch at home. And if you ever come to my home, you will see to this day on our couch, there's a lovely indentation in the couch, the right size of my posterior, because I've been sitting in that spot for two years doing ministry from that couch. So I'm sitting there, and I'm just working away, and I've got music playing in the background, Spotify or whatever it was, and um, I hear this song. by uh, Laurel Daigle. I mean, a bunch of people wrote it, but she was the one who sang it. And, and as I'm just working away, just working away, focused on my work, I hear this song playing in the background. And of course, you, most of you who know Laurel Daigle, amazing voice, amazing singer, top quality lyrics, amazing songs. Um, and this song comes on, it's, it's called Tremble. I'm not gonna try to sing it for you because that would defeat the purpose, okay? Um, but one of the, one of the, one of the um, verses says this, You invented all of time and space, called the morning and midnight into place, made the mountains and tamed the wildest seas, and still you set your holy eyes on me. And this is the lyric that, that really grabbed my attention. I will always live in wonder of the fact that I awake your jealous love. Eternity will almost be enough. As I'm working away on my stuff, doing my whatever it was I was doing, and this song is playing, it's as though the Holy Spirit says to the angels or whatever he did, this guy's attention is on something else. His guards are down. Let's just take these words and let them land on his heart, in his spirit. And that's exactly what happened. As I'm working away, this, the words just, it felt like they just came off the airwaves, came through the airwaves, landed on my heart, and I stopped. And I, and I, and I, and I listened again. I will always live in wonder of the fact that I awake your jealous love. And it was an incredible moment. I began to weep and, uh, you know, snot and all the rest of it, just projectile, hot tears just coming out of my eyes. And I was stunned in a fresh new way. After all these years of living under the spout and drinking from this revelation of the Father's love for me, it just hit me in a brand new, fresh way. And for the last year or more, I've been living in, at, at a different level in the awareness that there's something about me, me, little old me, little coolie boy from Guyana, that God 
there's something about me that awakes in his heart his jealous love for me and for each and every one of us in this room and anybody else watching. There's a jealousy in the heart of God for each and every one. It awakes some. There's something, Trevor, about you, man. When he looks at his eyes roving around the earth, it says in Second Chronicles, talking about Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says that the eyes of the Lord rove around the earth looking, for, looking on behalf of those who he can show himself strong. And he's looking around this room, and he, his eyes land on Trevor. And there's something in his heart uh, as he looks at Trevor that awakens jealous love. As I'm meditating on this, and I began to uh, do uh, just a little bit of research, uh, a couple of things. Um, the word jealous, jealous love, right? In the, in the Bible, when the word jealous is used towards hum, uh, used of human beings, it's always a bad thing. So when, when human beings are jealous in the Bible, it's a bad thing. Why? Because when we are jealous in our own brokenness and sinfulness and everything else, when we are jealous, it leads us to rage, to anger, to just bad behavior. Fair enough? When jealousy is, is, is linked to God in the Bible, it's always a good thing. Because there's even a, a God, one of God's name is jealous. God's name is jealous, one of his names. And when, when, when God is jealous, when his jealousy is aroused, he actually is self-giving. He does things on behalf of those that he's jealous towards. Amen? Does that make sense? When we are jealous, it's all about us. We are hurt. We are broken. We're we're, 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 we're shamed, and so we react badly. When God is jealous, he reaches out, and, he's, and there's no more profound and glorious way where God demonstrates his, his jealous love than in the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus outstretched his arms on those cross, and he was doing it because his jealous love was aroused. Here's another thing about jealousy. Jealousy, the, word, the two words jealousy and envy in the English language, we kind of use them interchangeably, right? Jealousy, jealousy and envy, we kind of use them interchangeably. But technically, there's actually a, different, a difference between the two words. And it has to do with possession. I could be jealous of Trevor's, do you have a fancy car? I can be jealous of Trevor's fancy car that he's dreaming about. I can be, I can be envious of his car. So in the Ten Commandments, do not be do not covet your neighbor's property. Do not be envious of your neighbor's property. That's somebody else's property. You can be envious of somebody else's thing. Okay, so far so good. Jealousy, I am only jealous of the things that I possess. So if I can use a bad example, my wife and I, we are each other's possessions. I own her, she owns me. So if somebody comes along and says, I like this lady more than you do, I am rightfully jealous because she is my possession and I'm hers. Does that make sense? The word jealousy is linked to possession. Fair enough? So God is rightfully jealous. That's the point I'm trying to make. God is rightfully jealous because you and I, we belong to him. And he, wants to, he does not want to share us with anybody else. 
including the devil or even our own hearts. He is jealous towards us, and he's going to do everything possible for, for us to be rec re reconnected to him and to live in everything that he has for us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's his jealous love that drove Jesus to, to suffer what he did on the cross and to rise again from the dead to make a way for us to be reconciled with our Father in heaven. Amen. It's his jealous love. So this song that hit me so hard blew me away, and I'm living in the revelation that God, whenever he looks at me, he knows every single thing about me. He knows every single, every single thing about you. He knows the good stuff. He knows the bad stuff. He knows the ugly stuff. And he's still so madly, jealously in love with us. It's un incredible. Let, let, let this hit our hearts, guys. I know many of us are probably Christians for a long time, and it's very easy for this, this, this truth, this message, to become old hat. But never let this incredible thing that Jesus has demonstrated, his jealous love for us, never let it become ho-hum. Let it always stir our hearts towards greater worship, greater gratitude towards him. Because it's the most unbelievable thing. For those of us who need a scripture passage, I've been meditating on um, Paul's writings quite a bit. I've been reading, I told the folks this on the weekend, I spent the last couple of years just focused on studying uh, Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians. And, um, and I'm reading this passage in Colossians. Colossians is an amazing book, an amazing, amazing book. In fact, I'm going to be starting a study with some of our guys when I go back uh, next week on this book of Colossians. But I'm reading this, and here's what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. This is the NIV. Paul says to the people in Colossae and to us as well, Once you were alienated from God, enemies with God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Another translation says, you were enemies with God because of the way you thought and therefore the way you behaved. Uh, but now, he has reconciled you. Everybody say, but now. That's right now. Not 10 years from now when we're nicer people, but right now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. When I read this uh, again uh, just a while ago, in a fresh new way, as you know, God is doing this thing about jealous love, and, and just this new deepening awareness of his incredible grace and graciousness, I, um, if we can keep that up, is that possible just to keep that up? Because I do want to refer to it a bit more. Uh, once you were alienated, all right? So what Paul is saying here is that in the, at some point in the past, once meaning before, in the past, you were enemies with God because of the way you thought and because of the way you behaved. But now, the, the, the difference is we have given our lives to Jesus he has reconciled us back to God. 
but now he has reconciled you in Christ's physical body. By the way, just a quick uh, point to make here. Who is the he? But now he has reconciled you. That's God the Father. The God the Father has reconciled you through Jesus, through his physical death on the cross, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Do you see that? But now he has, he has presented, uh, but now uh, he has presented you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Friends, this is how God sees us right now in Christ. Right now, today, Sunday, October 23rd. This is how God sees us today, not 10 years from now when we become more sanctified and we become slightly more nice people and more friendly people and more loving people and more patient people. That's all great and good, and that's, and that's the process of becoming who we already are. But right now, in his sight, this is how he sees us, holy. And holiness fundamentally doesn't have to do as much with behavior as it has to do with identity. God says, be holy, for I am holy. In other words, be, sep be uh, separated, be consecrated, be set apart. That's what a holy means uh, fundamentally. It means be set apart. God is saying, be set apart. I am set apart. I'm different from everybody else. I'm set apart. I'm distinct. And you are also distinct. You are a distinct society. Christians, you're a distinct, distinct society because you're in me. So be separated, be holy, and then out of your holiness will become behavior, okay? Well, behavior will flow. But initially, fundamentally, this is your identity. That's the big point I'm trying to make. Our identity now in Christ is that we are holy. In God's sight, he sees us as holy. Righteousness and right behavior comes from understanding who we are. When Duncan and Kate were still, uh, they're the leaders of Cash to Fire Global, when they were still living in Toronto way back when and their kids were small, their three daughters were quite small, well, I, I, we used to hang around because we worked together, and um, I, I would hear Duncan and Kate say to their kids uh, quite often, they would say, uh, we are the Smiths, this is who we are, and this is how we behave. We are the Smiths. This is who we are. And this is how we behave. And that, that's one of the ways that they uh, help their kids with their behavior. It wasn't, it wasn't Abby. This is, how, this, is, this is how you must behave in order to be loved by us or to be accepted. Right? If you don't behave this way, we're going to be embarrassed because we are your, your parents. They weren't appealing to some outward standard. That's the point I'm trying to make. They weren't appealing to an outward standard. They were saying, this is who we are, and therefore this is how we behave. This is what, this is what God is saying to us. You are holy in my eyes. You're just like me, and because you're just like me, therefore you behave just like the way I do. Is this making sense to anybody in the room? This is huge because it makes a big difference for our parenting, for one thing, but it also makes a big difference for how we understand how we live our lives in the grace of God. 
We're not living for something. We are living from something. We are living from this position of being holy, of being accepted without blemish, without accusation. Are you guys uh, on board with this stuff? For me, for me, I mean, I've always kind of known this, obviously, you know, being a gospel preacher and so on, but, but it's gone to a different level of, of motivation, you know, a place from which I live my life, right? It's, it's just gone a bit deeper, and I'm hoping the same thing will happen for you, that you will be so conscious of who you are in Christ, that you don't have to work towards acceptance, work towards being affirmed by God or by anybody else, because you are already affirmed, already fully accepted in the beloved, and so therefore that's where you live from. It's going to give you so much more freedom, friends, so much more freedom, just to be who you are in God. Amen? Without blemish, without blemish. This is a funny one for us, for me, as I was reflecting on it. When Elsie and I got married, on our marriage uh, invitation, we had this verse from Song of Solomon's, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. It says, you are altogether beautiful, my dear. This is King Solomon speaking to the Shulamite woman, right? You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no blemish in you. And most people know that that has at least three applications. The first application is Solomon speaking to the Shulamite woman. The next application would be the people of Israel and God, God and the people of Israel. And the third application is Christ and his church. Christ and you and me, Jesus and you and me, you are all together beautiful, my darling. There is no blemish in you. And I'm saying to myself, man, that's, that's nice. That's a nice idea. But you don't live with me 24-7. You don't know that I'm not always nice to my wife. You don't know that I have really bad thoughts coming through my head from time to time, actually quite a lot of the time. You know, we were, we just went, we were part of this team uh, meeting down in Bali. And on the way back, I won't give you all the details, but on the way back, there were some difficult moments on our flights back. And I got to confess, after spending, you know, a whole week with these charged up Holy Ghost on fire people, all right, I come back on my way home and some things happened. And I didn't necessarily respond in the most godly way possible. But God sees me as without blemish. So here's, here's, the, here's the good news about that. In the past, I would have been so down on myself. Oh my gosh, I blew it again. I failed again. I didn't have the right response. I was angry, I was upset, I was self-focused. But now I can say, yes, that was bad behavior. But that's not who I am. That's not who I am. My true nature, my, my new nature, my new self. Paul continues to talk about the new self in Colossians. My new self is that in God's eyes, I am fully loved, fully accepted, uh, holy in his eyes, without blemish, without accusation. Last thought really quickly as we wrap this up is this whole idea of condemnation. 
There is, no, there's, there's not a single human being who lives on this earth who doesn't feel the voice of condemnation. And condemnation has to do with, fundamentally has to do with identity. Right? It's who, it's, it's who, there's something wrong with you. It's not just your wrong behavior, but it's something wrong with you. And, there's, and we hear that voice of condemnation coming to us in all, from all different directions. The most potent of them all being our own hearts. And what I want to offer to us today, friends, that if there's any voice of condemnation, if there's any thought that you are entertaining or, or living your life based on that thought, which does not line up with the fact that you are holy in God's eyes, that you are without blemish, that you are without condemnation. If you are entertaining any of those thoughts, you have every single right to grab that thought by the scruff of the neck and throw it to the curb because it doesn't belong to you. Take some time. Go do ministry if you need to, but make sure that none of, especially the I am statements, the identity statements, if there are any, any statements like that, uh, you know, something wrong with me. There's something, I'm, I'm too fat, I'm too short, I'm not educated enough, I'm not like this other person, I'm not good enough like that other person. If those thoughts are in your mind and running your decision-making processes, friends, you have every right to kick those thoughts out. Throw them away because that's not who you are. You were meant to live a much more free life, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the truth of God, full of His love for you, His never-ending, unconditional love without regrets. Love without regrets. You know, I want to end this by saying, um, a couple of years ago, uh, we bought this. Some of, the, some of you who were here this weekend would have heard this. Uh, we bought this car, this Hyundai Tucson, because I'm getting to that age and stage of life where I don't want to. Oh my Lord. Hallelujah. Let's just uh, stand. Let's all stand. I thought I had my, my uh, alarm go supposed to go off. Sorry. Jesus. Let's just do this. Let's just give the Father permission to examine our hearts. Let, let the Holy Spirit have permission to examine our hearts and to show us where in our thought processes especially we haven't been living in this revelation, this, this, this revelation, this gospel purchased with the price of the blood of Jesus, this incredible price he has paid. And if we're not living to the fullest in this revelation. Let the Holy Spirit show us where that's not happening and ask Him to help us. So Holy Spirit, with your hand on your heart, if you're willing, would you help me to examine my heart, examine my mind? And Lord, would you show me the lies that I've been believing that don't line up with the truth 
of your incredible love for me. Lord, help me to repent of those lies. Help me to throw those lies to the curb and help me to walk in the truth of your incredible love for me where you see me as holy in your eyes, not perfect, but holy in your eyes, without blemish, without accusation. And this is the place that I want to live my life from. I'm not living for that position. I'm living from it. Help me do this, Jesus, so that I can walk in a greater measure of freedom, being more content in my own skin, in who I am in you, and therefore making a difference on the lives of the people around me for your great name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Thank you for entertaining, and I mean, listening to me as I share this. I hope it's a blessing to you. Sorry I took longer than I thought I should. All right. Wow, Ramesh and Elsie, aren't they just precious? They're amazing. We love them. And you know, what really stood out to me this morning, uh, really strong, was uh, two words, working for love, working from love. There's a big difference between for and from, isn't there? It's like a switch, and it hits my heart, too. I'm just like... God, I, I want to I wanna work out of that place of love. And so I want to just invite you, if you're here this morning, and, and that, that hits you, I want to invite you to come forward and just let's pray together and ask the Lord just to make that transition in our hearts. You know, because I think there's, they're worlds apart, to be honest. They're worlds apart. And I don't know that we're ever fully arrived in it. But as we grow closer and closer to this God that loves us so much, how many want to just get rid of the accuser of the brethren, right? People who, and they're good, well-meaning people, you know, it could be parents, family members, coworkers, but the enemy wants to just seep in there and put this junk onto us, the accuser of the brethren, and it can be our own hearts too, just be free from it. So just, to, just as we're in this moment, Holy Spirit, I just bless each person that's here this morning. And Father, I pray, would you flip the switch out of your grace, would you flip the switch in our hearts to flip it from, for, for working for love to come into a place of being in love, falling into your arms, falling into the place of your love for us. Lord, just the excitement of waking up in the morning and feeling that, that excitement to have you greet us in the morning. Father, I pray, would you return that to our hearts? Those of us that wake up with our minds racing on what to do for the day and, and there's not enough time to get it all done. Lord, I pray for an arresting of our hearts this morning to, to sink back into being in love with you. Thank you for your jealous love that wants to push all the stuff away. Thank you for your jealous... Lord, we just release your jealous love over each person that's here. Just release it. Allow jealousy to rise up. Allow this jealous father to rise up. God, be aroused in your love for us. 
jealous love to pursue us in the nighttime, in the mornings. Awaken us in this place of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning, those that are online. And we'd love to connect with you. You're welcome to come anytime in person. Those that are here, if you'd like to receive ministry, we're just going to have the ministry team come forward and you can connect with them right after the service. And uh, thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Welcome to the Jubilee Stratford podcast, where you can listen back on our weekly sermons, special guest speakers, and more. To find other resources and information about who we are, visit www.jubileestratford.com. If you like what you've heard here on this podcast today, don't forget to subscribe.